I'm Charlie Wilmot. I'm David Todd. And welcome to the Bucks Dugout Podcast. Welcome back to the Bucks Dugout Podcast. I'm David Todd. He's Charlie Wilmot. Charlie, uh, the Pirates have started to make a few moves since we've been on air together uh, since the last podcast. Obviously, late Nate McLeod designated for assignment. That's one. But uh, they, Jordy Mercer back in the fold making his Major League debut last night as we talk here on Wednesday morning. Right. Mercer is up now. The Pirates have said that Clint Barmas is still their shortstop. But, of course, you have to kind of question exactly how long or that'll be for or how much Barmas is going to play, especially if he continues to struggle. The The issue with Mercer is I, I'm sure he can probably be a, an improvement over the 450 OPS or whatever it is that Barmas has had, but uh, how much of an improvement really is he going to be and what kinds of skills is he, going, is he going to show? We know he's a pretty good defensive shortstop. That's not really much to worry about, but he's you know hit for average sort of at certain points in the minors he's hit for power sort of at certain points but has never really pulled it together and had a great offensive season so it's questionable how much offense they're going to get out of him but I think at this point they really have to take a look and um, and see what they've got it's nothing to be excited about but it is a shortstop who isn't Barmas and I think that's that's just where we are right now yeah I think that's a good point he's 25 years old this is not a 22-year-old coming up to take the job for the next 10 years, but he's a guy who's going to get a look. He's been hot the last two weeks down in AAA, and that's worth something. He's had as good a stretch as he's had there all season. You and I have, I think, a similar opinion that Josh Harrison's not an everyday guy at shortstop. But let me just ask you this, Charlie. Uh, if you're if you're managing this team right now at 24 and 25, they've got a game against the Reds. They go to Milwaukee. They've talked about how Matt Haig is going to get a regular string of at-bats, and he's now, I think, started five games and had a hit in every one. How would you play Jordy Mercer over the next two weeks without having the looking glass of knowing what his performance is going to be like? I'd maybe look for good matchups for him, maybe start him three times a week right now. Um, the reason is that I just don't think you can pull the plug on Barmas entirely at this point. He's been obviously extremely frustrating, but two years and $10.5 million is a fair, uh, fairly large investment to make in a player on the free agent market. And the Pirates have to continue to, to try to recoup something from that investment. I think it's a little bit as bad as he's been. It's a little bit too early still to to say that it's a sunk cost. I think we're approaching that point, but I'm not sure we're there yet, so I would probably play play both of them until we know for sure. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think that's uh that's well said. I I generally agree. And how, what do you think of the Matt the philosophy toward Matt Haig? You know, it, it's it's interesting to me that that you know, Garrett Jones has been uh thrown under the bus a little bit. Not that he's been good this season, but he has been uh certainly not as bad as a lot of of the Pirates hitters. The way it's worked out the past couple of days, uh, it seemed like Haig is, is playing first and Garrett Jones is, is playing right field. And that that's not a very good defensive alignment, but that seems to make the most sense to me right now in terms of getting the most offense on the field. So with the way, um, you know, I, I, I'm not totally sure about it, but with the, the way Jones has played and the way McGee has played, you know, I can't really argue with it too much. I think it's fine. What do you think? I'm generally in the same camp. I don't think Matt Haig is going to be the answer. I'd like to make sure that Garrett Jones gets, you know, I think Garrett Jones should be out there every time the Pirates face a right-hander. And if that's uh, if that's playing first base or right field, I don't really care. But I think he should get his at-bats. 
Uh, I think he's shown, you know, he's the other guy on the team who's shown consistent power. Uh, he does, he is streaky. He's not going to, he's not going to hit 300, but you know, if he gives you a 330 on base percentage and kind of a 780, you know, ideally a, a 780 to 820 slugging percentage, he's bringing something to the table that most guys on the team aren't or haven't. So uh, I hope, certainly hope that he is not a guy who gets shuffled out of the deck either because Josh Harrison's heart uh, hot or, or whatever with Clint's lineup. So, yeah, generally uh, I'm with you on that. Just a couple notes, Charlie, that uh, these are relatively new, so we'll put them out there. Uh, Chris LaRue uh, threw a bullpen session. I think he's going to throw another Thursday. And then on Saturday, he's going to go two innings in extended spring training. And we've kind of progressed, uh, suggested for people how these timetables work out. This means Chris LaRue is probably still at least a month away. He'll do extended spring training, do a couple times where he gets a couple innings work. And then I'm sure there'll be a few times where they let him go back to back uh, an inning and an inning. So we're looking at June 1st now. Chris LaRue still to me looks like an all-star break type of guy when he will be back. But the reports are good so far. Mm -hmm. And then the issue, obviously. Obviously, is he's a 25, uh, he's a 40-man roster guy. He's on the 60-man disabled list right now. He'll have to come back on, and he'll have to stay up because he has no options, and the Pirates will have to make a corresponding roster move if they decide not to designate him. The second one is uh, Jeff Carstens is going to go tomorrow night in Indianapolis, five innings or 80, 80 pitches, whichever comes first. Uh, there's some people speculating on Twitter that that means Carstens is going to be back in a week. I don't think so. I think he'll make two or three rehab starts. I would expect him, you know, back still the the latter half of June. I don't know if that's June 15th or not. But, uh, Charlie, that leads us into the next question, mm. uh, the next topic. And we've seen the Pirates' back-end starters have struggled a little bit lately. Kevin Craig gave us, gave us a good outing the last time out. Charlie Morton has really struggled the last five or six starts. I tweeted this morning uh, that Charlie Morton, that Pirate fans, uh, the exact tweet was Pirate fans showing a quick trigger on Charlie Morton. Hasn't been good, but too early to pull the plug. Rob Nyer of SB Nation, who was a guest uh, on our show a month ago or so, uh, picked that tweet up and wrote an article around it looking at Charlie Morton's peripherals and the numbers. I'm shocked at how many fans are really ready to pull Charlie Morton from the rotation if and when Carstens comes back versus Correa. What are your thoughts on that? And uh, for me, the driving factor is years of control, if nothing else. But even I think the peripherals are, are in Morton's favor. Yeah, I, I think it's a it's a, it's pretty open and shut for me. Uh, Correa is not going to be with the team next year. He has no future with the organization. Morton might. He's been very frustrating at certain points this year. I don't have their their uh, respective stats um, in front of me, but uh, Morton's peripherals have been. Worse than Morton's, yeah, 18 strikeouts, 17 walks for Correa, 25 strikeouts to 11 walks for Morton. You know, the ERAs are, are similar, uh, plus Morton's going to get a lot of the ground balls. It, it, it's it's pretty straightforward. The, yeah, the one, mean, thing, the one thing in Correa's favor is Morton's whip's a little higher. He's been a little luck, unlucky on batted balls in play. Uh, as you said, you know, we've got a, the, the FIP. Uh, the FIP, Correa is 514, Morton's 407. Right. The ex-FIP, uh, Correa is 494, Morton's 394. And then on batted balls in play, Correa is 227 and Morton is 317. And really, you know, if you th that's kind of stripping things down to uh, the, the stuff that really makes pitchers successful. And those numbers are pretty strongly in favor of Morton. 
Yeah, it's it's a pretty open and shut case. I think Morton's the guy with the with the potential future in the organization. He's also the better pitcher. That said, he's been very frustrating at at various points this year. We don't see him being nearly as consistent keeping the ball down as he was last year, which has led to lots of extra base hits, like we saw like we saw last night, and like we've been seeing a lot over the past month. Um, I can't blame Pirates fans for being frustrated with him, but you know it's it's not as if uh, you know, if the choice is between uh, Morton and Correa, then I, I think it's pretty easy, and I, I imagine that's an opinion you share. Yeah, I, I just think this whole idea. First of all, Charlie Morton has no options left, so some people are suggesting that uh, if he needs to work on things, you send him down. Unfortunately, that's not going to happen. And I will suggest that uh, Morton probably doesn't profile very well out of the bullpen. I don't know that there's a, a specific role for him, unless you're going to bring him in and have him be a Jared Hughes type guy who tries to get induce a ground ball to get a double play. Uh, you'd obviously rather have him go longer stints. So he can be a long man when you're getting blown out early. Hopefully those don't come very often. But, uh, you know, Correa is a guy who I look at as uh, the 11th or 12th man in the, in the, on the staff, basically, and I'm not really concerned about when he would get his work. If he goes to the pen, Morton would be a different story. So I think that, you know, you could see them if they really wanted to work on his mechanics. We've seen this in the past. They could sit Charlie down or skip a start with him because of the, the number of guys they have right now who can start and have been starting effectively and have him just spend, uh, you know, 10 days or, or around the All-Star break, even two weeks like they did last year, working on his mechanics, uh, trying to get through this stuff. But they've got control through to, through 2014. I mean, this, uh, this is a non-issue for me as well. Right. Uh, one other thing you wrote about um, earlier today on, on Twitter was that the Pirates should be less concerned about uh, Morton versus Correa. I mean, that's one problem, but the Pirates should be less concerned about that and more concerned about the performances of Jose Tabata and Neil Walker. Let's talk about Tabata first because that seems like the more, the, like the simpler problem to, to discuss. We've seen some really terrible things from him in the past couple of weeks. I mean, I, I think we've hit a flashpoint. I mean, I you know, we hear fans criticize players all the time. I mean, it's the nature of the business, and particularly when this team offensively has been so bad, uh, it's easy to critique guys, and it's easy to point out the, the failings that guys are having. But one of the things that we haven't seen so much of under the hurdle regime is any kind of lack of effort or lack of hustle. And I think for me, as a, as a fan, when what makes my blood boil and really I find totally inexcusable is lack of effort. I look, guys are going to fail. I mean, this goes down to me for you play a little league game. I mean, you know, people make mistakes. I'll, I'm much more going to, going to yell at a, would be more willing to yell at a 12 year old kid for not running the first than we're throwing to the wrong base. Now these guys are major leaguers. This guy's signed a contract. We have seen now earlier in the season, Clint Hurdle bench him for lack of uh, hustle. And then I don't think we've seen instances in the last week where I can maybe point to four or five and everybody saw the fly ball into the into the north side notch last night that it looked like he was just kind of strolling toward it. McCutcheon ended up getting there first. Uh, didn't you know? Didn't run hard. I've seen multiple occasions here uh, running to first base where he is not running hard 30 feet down the line. And to me, I just don't get it. Uh, Clint Hurdle is on the record last year about talking about Ronnie Cedeno and lack of focus and lack of hustle. I cannot believe that this isn't going to have ramifications. Yeah, it was that what happened uh, yesterday with that fly ball was with that with that drive to the notch was was just baffling to me. We've you know, it's it's been a long 
20 years, two decades for Pirates fans. We've seen lots and lots of bad baseball. We've seen lots of teams that have been hopeless. We've even seen some teams that have, you know, people have, you know, talked to the press off the record and admitted that they knew the team was hopeless. And I can't ever remember seeing an example of, of not hustling that was that flagrant. I mean, I remember uh, Jeremy Burnett's not running down the line. I remember uh, jogging Ronnie Cedeno doing all kinds jogging of things. Jogging George Hendricks and jogging Ronnie, yep. Yeah, and, and I, I can't remember ever an example that I thought was that uh, egregious. That was awful. And it was amazing to me that the Pirates continued to leave him in the game. I know that it was wet outside and that he's he's uh, had injury issues recently. But if that's the reason he's not running, he shouldn't be out there. You know, and he's he's showing why he shouldn't be out there. It's 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 ridiculous, and that was that was just terrible. There's nothing else to. It's no other adjective to really describe it. Yeah, to see Tabata at age 23 dogging it, particularly after signing, you know, maybe not uh, the right contract, but signing a long-term contract that gets him financially set. To see him kind of less than a year later dogging it, kind of consistently, I think is is. I, you know, I don't know what to say other than what you just said. I think it's just terrible. And uh, it really – the Pirates don't have any alternatives. I don't care. I'd sit them down for a week. Yeah, it's not even about alternatives. I mean, it has nothing to do with that. It's it's that we don't, we don't do that. I mean, we shouldn't do that. Um, the more complicated case, obviously, is, is that of Neil Walker and why he's struggling. We don't have any effort issues with him, I don't think. And, you know, really there's not a lot in his statistical profile that you can point to and you can, you can say, yep, that's the problem. Uh, it's just across the board, uh, it's not really getting it done this year at all. His, his numbers are just down and they've declined for the second straight year. What do you think is going on? You know, that's a great question. I don't have an answer. I, 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 uh, if there's anything going on, maybe yeah, there's nothing going I, you on. Know, I, I, I don't think I, – I hate to say at this point it's not small sample size, but I don't think it is. I went back and did some work on last August and September for Neil Walker to see if this is something that we could track back to a certain time. And it wasn't really. I mean, he certainly showed more power in the first half of last year than the second half of last year. But I will point to – and I, I don't mean to, again, I, I occasionally have pointed to spring training stats that have kind of uh, foreshadowed what's going on with the Pirates. And we saw the strikeouts and lack of walks with Barmas uh, and Barajas, and we saw the starts that they got off to. Neil Walker, no extra base hits in his first 50 at-bats in spring training, and I think at the end of the day he just had a couple doubles. I'm not sure he hit a home run. Here we are, 200 plate appearances into the season, and he has 10 extra base hits, which is eight doubles and two home runs. And it's really it's really scary because I pointed this out about three weeks ago. When you look at Walker's average and on-base percentage, they're almost identical. It's just a complete lack of power that has brought his slugging percentage down and therefore his you know OPS down, his OPS plus down, where he's at 81 now on his OPS plus. And that's, you know, this is a guy the Pirates are depending on. And I tweeted last night that, you know, people are people are hoping that, you know, Haig, Harrison and Mercer are going to provide some answers to the Pirates offense. <laughs> they're not. They're not. Those guys are going to be what they are. Trust me. Those guys aren't going to provide any answers. It's Tabata, Alvarez and Walker that are going to decide whether this team sinks or swims offensively. I think, you know, we know what McCutcheon's going to bring us. I think we know what Barajas is going to bring us. And I think we know what Garrett Jones is going to bring us. But I don't know what these three guys are going to bring us. And, you know, Walker, as much as anybody, I mean, you, you maybe we already start to know what Pedro Alvarez is going to bring us. He's going to bring us 25 home runs and a 220 batting average and, and whatever. But Neil Walker and Jose Tabata, 
really not sure and have to say, I said it now for three weeks, very concerned. I, I don't. I think Neil Walker is the player we're seeing right now. Yeah, and uh, it's no coincidence that uh, all the clamor for uh, you know an extension for him has has kind of disappeared at this. Yeah, point. that was that was silly talk to begin with. But yeah, I, I, but anyway, you know, I'm I'm looking at his breakdown line drive percentage this year, uh, about 24 percent versus actually about 21 percent last year and 22 percent the year before. So it's actually a little bit better. I think it's really, really the strikeouts in May, Charlie, I, I think has gone. His career strikeout rate's been about 17%, and I think in May he's at about 25%. You know, that, that to me was the one thing that I saw that stood out, and I'm willing to say that that maybe is just – maybe that is small sample size, but that, that kind of jumped out at me. Yeah, but even, you know, even though the – even still, I mean, the, the strikeouts are still not huge. He has 35 in 189 plate appearances last year, had 112 – in 662 last year so that's i mean it's not totally out of proportion um i mean the one thing i can see here is that he's hitting an unusual number of infield flies so he, he may just be not making you know quite as much solid contact when he does get the ball in the air but i, I can't point to anything in his statistical profile that says that this is a worse hitter than the guy um who was who was around last year i know this goes back to about may um, uh, of last season that he's that he's had these problems, but I but I'm not sure if if what we're seeing now is the real Neil Walker or we're going to see a bounce back at some point. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me uh, let me speaking of uh, let me ask you turn turn back to the pitching staff a little bit. I just want to close one thing on Charlie Morton that I saw last night that I, I meant to throw in there. I did. Bob Walk talked about this early in the game, and I was kind of feeling the same thing. So hearing him say it. Not that I always agree with Bob, uh, but hearing him say it, I think uh, it stood out for me, is that I hadn't seen as much movement uh, on Charlie Morton's stuff here, particularly uh, basically on his sinker. And last year, we Walk talked about how he had command issues. Morton had command issues last year, and his strikeout-to-walk ratio has gotten much better this year. And it's gotten much better primarily because he's walking less guys and he seems to have better command of that sinker. But maybe it's because that sinker doesn't have as much life as it used to have. And it could be a little bit of a double edged sword. Any, uh, did you notice any of that last night or in the last few starts? Well, I do notice that it's not, it's not diving as much as it yeah, used to. It that's for sure. Like it, yeah. And, and not only is that, that, that's an interesting explanation for a bunch of things, actually, not only the, the much improved control, which is, which is weird, but uh, also the fact that that so many balls are getting hit so hard. I mean, he, he's. I mean, they're just not diving, so they're you know higher in the zone when they get to the zone. Um, and you, you watch a lot of the the balls that people are really hitting hard. I mean, they look like big time mistake pitches. And you know, if he's expecting some movement on his sinker. Um, that's not showing up. That could be an explanation for that, for sure. Yeah, and then Chris Resop again had a had a not particularly good outing last night after not having a good outing in that uh, in that ten four win, whatever day that was on Sunday, I think. Chris Resop, a sh- short shelf short shelf life as a pirate now. Uh, I, yeah, I think maybe. Um, you know, the the Pirates, uh, you know, certainly have um, a fair number of of decent options, and it it looks like. You know they they have moved him into very low leverage innings, and he has not really pitched well at all this year. I mean, last year he was a, at times a very frustrating pitcher, but you, at least you could point to that strikeout rate and you say, okay, he struck out 79 batters in 69 innings. Um, that's that's worth something there. But this year, I mean, he's had some of the same 
home run problems he's had last year, and he's not striking out anywhere near a batter an inning, and he's, his control has never been all that great. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it may reach the point where the Pirates have just had enough of him. Yeah, I think we, we've... Uh, unfortunately, I, I tend to agree. Chris, he's a good dude, and uh, you know he came in last year in a lot of high leverage situations. Clint seemed to go to him a lot with men on base. He had a pretty high strand rate. Uh, did a get, did a good job for the Pirates last year, much like Ho- Jose Veras generally did a good job for the Pirates. But I think we're going to see him if not if it hasn't been already, and if effectively it has. He's been phased out of all the high leverage innings. Brad Lincoln has certainly taken whatever would would go to Chris Resop, and with Grilly and and Cruz. Uh, and obviously Handrahan at the back end. I don't expect him to to see many more, get many more opportunities to pitch well. And if he doesn't pitch well in these mop up roles, he's not going to get another chance. You've got Jared Hughes. Uh, we've talked about Larue possibly coming back, and there are some guys down there uh, knocking on the door. It will be interesting to me. I think this decision. I'm I'm saying this today because I think we might see this decision happen as quickly as Monday. If Slayton pitches well a couple outings and Clint Hurdle wants to keep that second lefty up here with Tony Watson, I think you could see Chris Resop designated for assignment as soon as, you know, Monday of this coming week. Yeah, it, it, it would be a, a mild surprise, but not a huge one. And it, it really just, just you know, shows how how quickly these, these relievers cycle in and out of here. They have their bursts of effectiveness. You know, last year, uh, the top guys aside from Hanrahan were, who I mean, Veris and, and Resop. Now, uh, you know, one of them's gone. One of them looks to be possibly on his way out. And, and they've got two new guys in Grilly and Cruz who have been very effective. And, you know, next year, who knows? It'll be two different guys probably. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, okay, Charlie, uh, the Pirates now 24 and 25. Uh, they've got Johnny Cueto tonight, and that has typically not been good for the Pirate offense. Uh, no, I don't don't have, and you know, any – high expectations um, for the Pirates tonight. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. I mean, we may not even publish this until until Thursday, so we, we run the risk of looking ridiculous. Um, but, you know, uh, you know, against Milwaukee coming up this weekend, you know, some pretty decent pitching matchups um, with, with Randy Wolf and this guy, uh, Michael Fires, who you're going to hear more about when we talk to Kyle Loebner on the other side um, of the podcast. And, you know, aside from them going to Milwaukee, and not playing well historically. Hopefully, this is a year they can shake that. As the Brewers uh, have been struggling, and they're they're throwing some pitchers out there who are are not so great. So so in the near future, there is hope. And we're just getting news. The Pirates have announced a lineup for tonight. Jordy Mercer will get his first start and bat second. So something for us all to look forward to. I think you're right. I think you'll see him get a couple starts here, uh, and probably two out of three in the in the Milwaukee series. Um, let's just t- touch on a positive before we close things up. James McDonald, another great outing. You know, I don't know that uh, I don't know that ten starts can make you an ace, but James McDonald's certainly looking like a guy who can be uh, Pirates' front of rotation, really uh, ace potential guy. Yeah, uh, I mean the the swing and miss stuff is is definitely there. He's also taken a huge step forward this year with his control, and it's been what seven stri- uh, seven. Seven outings in a row now. I think he had six in a row where he had struck out at least seven. Yep. Uh, and then in his last outing, he struck out uh, five. five, I believe, and, and walked one and, and uh, made it through eight innings. Yeah, I mean, this is this is an amazing run of good pitching. If it turns out that he goes back to who he was last year, sort of being you know a decent 
back of the rotation starter, which is basically functionally what he was last year. I would be very surprised at this point. I mean, these are very positive developments. Yeah, good stuff. So, and he'll get the start uh, at one, one of the games in the Brewer series. I'd have to quickly count here. I can't count fast enough, but I think he'll probably end up going Saturday, I would think. Um, all right. Well, listen, uh, stay tuned for Kyle Loebner uh, of Brew Crew Ball as Charlie and I discuss the upcoming Brewers uh, Pirate Series in Miller Park. And as always, thanks for listening to the Bucks Dugout Podcast. Welcome back to the Bucks Dugout Podcast. I'm Charlie Wilmoth, here with David Todd, and uh, I am here with Kyle Loebner, who runs the SB Nation Brewers site, brewcrewball.com. You can follow him on Twitter, at brewcrewball. Kyle, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, Kyle. Uh, let's just start kind of big picture. After the great success the Brewers had last year, obviously losing fielder is a big deal. But uh, I think the 21 and 28 record here, 49 games into the season, has to still be somewhat of a disappointment. What's your thoughts on that? Oh, I think it's definitely a disappointment. I think when we looked at this Brewer team in March, um, everyone knew that you're not going to replace a hitter like Prince Fielder. It's impossible to get that level of production from one player, regardless of who it is. But I think most of us felt like this Brewer team was significantly improved at shortstop and third base. Um, They had Francisco Rodriguez for a full season. So I think we were operating under the expectation that this was still a 90-92 to win Brewer team and a strong chance of winning the NL Central. So for this team to play like they have this early and really play themselves almost out of the race at this point has been a strong disappointment for us. If, if we're gonna, if we're just gonna target things right out of the shoot, I mean, it's easy to look st- statistically and look at, you know, Richie Weeks, look at uh, a pirate, fa- a pirate fan favorite in Niger Morgan, mm-hmm. and then maybe look at Ivani uh, if- Gallardo as being kind of the major disappointments. Would that be where you would go as well? Yeah, Ricky Weeks is number one far and away. Um, this is a guy that was an NL All Star at second base last year. This year is really struggling to get his batting average up over 160. Um, Weeks has a very strong asset in his plate discipline. Um, And because he is very good at taking pitches, um, he'll draw a lot of walks. He'll get hit by occasional pitches. And his on-base percentage is still lurking right around 300. But the Brewers aren't getting anywhere near the production they got from him last year. And no one's been able to pinpoint exactly why. Um, Niger Morgan has also been much less of a contributor this year than he was last year. Um, I don't know if you guys are aware of this. We have a post on the front page of Brew Cuball right now. Morgan is actually the new major league record holder for most at-bats to start a season without an RBI. Um, he has over <laughs> 130 at-bats already, has not driven in a run. He's the first player in major league history, at least since 1918, to do that. So, yeah, seeing this level of non-production for him has been really surprising because he was a real breath of fresh air for the Brewers last year. Um, and he's just, he's a guy that they need to get going. Um, otherwise he's probably going to play himself out of a spot in the outfield. Uh, Giovanni Gallardo is kind of a, he's a lesser disappointment because when you look at his numbers on the whole, um, we're getting difficult performances from him against the Cardinals, a couple of rough outings. 
Um, but for the most part, he has been pretty good. There have been a couple of rough outings that are really changing his numbers. But for the most part, every five days, you still feel pretty comfortable with him on the mound. Kyle, given that it's, it was a pretty tough offseason, I mean, I don't think anybody expected the Brewers to retain Prince Fielder. But given that it was a, a tough offseason and now the, the team is off to a pretty rough start, what is the temperature of, of fans in Milwaukee right now? I think it's a little bit all over the place. It was a long offseason between losing Prince Fielder and the Ryan Braun thing. Um, but I think a lot of people expected this team to still be very good. And one of the things that becomes a factor is this Brewer team also struggled out of the gate last year. Um, not to this extent, but they got off to a 13-19 and 19 start before Zach Greinke got healthy. Um, Corey Hart was also coming back about that time. And then they got hot and went on an unprecedented run down the stretch. And I think there's an awful lot of Brewer fans that are still waiting for the second half of that to happen this year, for this team to all of a sudden get ridiculously hot and make us forget that we all thought they weren't very good in April and May. The unfortunate reality is that last year's team by this point was already back above 500 and closing in on first place, while this year's Brewer team is still in fifth place looking up at the Astros and Pirates right now. So the, the similarity isn't really there, but a lot of fans, I think, are still looking for it. You touched on Braun. He's having another MVP caliber season uh, through 205 plate appearances. He's got an OPS over 1,000, which, you know, you take out Andrew McCutcheon and you can pretty much add, you know, two or three Pirates, any two two or three Pirate starters and come up with a number like that. What is the reaction? I know the reaction around baseball in the fan community is Ryan Braun got off on a technicality, and we've seen that a lot in the steroid era. What's the reaction in Milwaukee as to uh, what actually happened and, you know, whether he's guilty or he's our guy and we love him, so we don't care? The reaction to Braun has been remarkably positive. Um, I, don't, I don't recall seeing anything but cheers for him at Miller Park from the home fans. I think everyone has really taken this opportunity to, you know, double down on Ryan Braun. But the reaction around baseball has been resoundingly negative, I think, as you would expect. The unfortunate reality with Braun is that because of the way things happened and the way things ended, we're never going to know exactly what went down here. There's enough out there for the people who want to believe that Braun is guilty to have some evidence to back up a claim. Um, there's a failed drug test for whatever reason out there that people, I think, will point to for the rest of his career. But because he was exonerated... Um, there's also a lot of you know, evidence for people to use to suggest that he was actually guilty of nothing. There's a strong chance that nothing actually happened, and this entire thing was a big mistake. So everybody who wants to hold an opinion on Braun is going to find a reason to do so, and unfortunately we'll never know exactly who's right. Kyle, I'm feeling a little, a little bit bad. All of our questions have been negative so far, and I want to ask one more negative one, but then I'm going to follow it up with a more positive one. Um, right. As if things, you know, hadn't hadn't been bad enough for the Brewers this year. They also recently lost their starting catcher, Jonathan Lucroy, uh, for what looks like about six weeks with a broken hand. Uh, he had been there, probably their second most effective hitter behind Braun. How crucial is that is that injury going forward? You know, Jonathan Lucroy, I think, surprised all of us with his production this year. He really came out hot. He's been one of the Brewers' best hitters to this point. You could make a strong case that he's been as valuable or more valuable to this team than Ryan Braun to this point. Um, he hits all over the place. He seems to be the Brewers' best clutch hitter right now, if you put any value in that. 
And so losing him is really a pretty significant setback for this team. Uh, they're in a good position to hold on for the short term. Um, George Kataris has played really well also this season, is a very good offensive catcher, and probably would be playing every day right now if not for the fact that he's also nursing a hamstring strain. Uh, Martin Maldonado, who they called up from AAA, who started last night, is a very good defensive catcher, but not much of a contributor offensively. So they're going to have to try to cobble together you know, an effective platoon right now from two guys at a position where they were getting a lot of offensive production as of three days ago. Well, if if uh, if if Kataris can stay healthy, that might you might say that that might not matter all that much in in a in a short time frame. I, I was kind of looking around and and I thought maybe Lucroy and and Kataris might might be the most effective catcher tandem in the majors this year. Would you agree with that or any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think you could make that case for sure. I mean, I, I think there are individual catchers that are maybe a little better by themselves. Brian McCann with the Braves comes to mind. Uh, there are probably a handful of others out there, but the Brewers were in a really good position right now in that they have two pretty viable Major League everyday catchers on the roster. It just happens that one of them is out for a long time and one of them is out for a little while at this point. Let's, uh, as Charlie said, let's kind of spin this in a little differently. I, I don't know exactly where you stand on your view, but you talked about them maybe almost playing themselves out of the race. And I, I certainly wouldn't think that based on what I saw last year and looking at the top end of their staff. I mean, I, with Granke and Markham and, and Gallardo, I do think they have uh, the horses to take them a long way. What, what uh, Other than kind of better performances out of the guys who've slumped out of the gate, what are the things that you would point to that they need to do better? And what's the, uh, what's the feeling about the manager and the coaching staff? Well, there's just a level of consistency that we're not seeing right now. Um, it, it seems like every day, you know, when you get on a long losing streak or a difficult stretch like this, um, sometimes it's the same thing every day, but most of the time it's something new every day. Um, there was a while where it felt like the Brewers would find a new way to lose a game every single day, uh, whether it was that, that you know, stuff sounds familiar. Really <laughs> We've been there, yeah. <laughs> it, either you know an offensive lapse or a defensive lapse, or they get a terrible start, or they get a great start and then the bullpen can't handle it. Um, it really seems like there's not a single guy you could pin this team struggles on because every day it's been somebody different. Um, so just a level of consistency, success breeds success. And I think if these guys can get consistent and confident, they probably can get on a winning streak. The question is, how hot do you think they can possibly get missing some of the guys that are missing right now due to injury? And they're at a point where they would need to win, you know, better than two thirds of their games the rest of the way to get back up to 90 wins. And I'm just not sure that's feasible. Um, certainly, certainly, coaching, we've, certainly we've been a good medicine for you in Bryn, you know, Miller Park in years past. It's true. I mean, I think everybody's looking forward to the Pirates coming to town, and that's been the case for a few years now. The Pirates and the Astros have been the saving grace of the Brewers over the last few years. Uh, Kyle, we're, uh, the, it looks like the Pirates are actually going to miss most of the Brewers' frontline starters. and the, It looks like the, st the opposing starters are going to be Randy Wolf, uh, Sean Markham, and somebody new named Michael Fires. Uh, who is he and what should we expect from him? You know, Michael Fires is a guy who, if he could put together some big league success, would be a great story. Uh, the Brewers drafted him in the 22nd round of the 2009 draft. He was a 24-year-old college senior from a Division II school. <laughs> um, didn't draw much attention. 
I think the Brewers even didn't think of him as much more than a potential bullpen guy. They had him pitching out of the bullpen in the low levels of the minors. But three years later, he's actually the first guy from that 2009 draft class to reach the big leagues. Um, he dominated AAA last year. He had an ERA under two. He's been very good again this year. He doesn't have anything that's really spectacular about him. Um, he's got a, a roughly 90-mile-an-hour fastball and an interesting changeup. But he's got a little bit of deception in his delivery. Um, one of the guys that he's been compared to a lot is Josh Kalmenter from the Diamondbacks, who throws at kind of an interesting arm angle, and so his stuff moves a little differently than most guys. Um, but he just seems to have really good control and a really good mindset on the mound in terms of being able to get through tough innings and just finding ways to get guys out. He had a really good outing for the Brewers last night. Um, he's the first Brewer this season to pitch seven innings with under 90 pitches. Um, and he's a guy that, if he could stick in the rotation, could be a real boost for this team. Uh, and how about out of the pen? I know Axford's been the guy, but uh, Jose Veras is an ex-Bucco who's there. I know he got off to a really tough start to the season, but his peripherals don't look too bad. And he seems to have pitched a tad better of late. And you mentioned uh, K-Rod. What, what's, uh, how's the pen looking overall? Well, I think John Axford and K-Rod are both every bit as solid as they were last year. Uh, K-Rod had a rough stretch for a little while to start the year. Um, he wasn't always throwing his changeup all that well, and as a result, he'd become a little more hittable. Um, after, this, after the eighth inning, it becomes a little more of a question mark. Varus has had a couple of stretches this year where he's been very good, and a couple of stretches this year where it doesn't seem like he can get anybody out. Um, and the Brewers left a rookie starter making his first major league start, and Mike Fires in for the seventh inning last night instead of turning to Varus. So that should tell you a little bit about where their confidence level is with him right now. Yep. Uh, Cam Cameron Lowe has been a very good option out of the bullpen. He's better against righties than lefties, but he's a workhorse. Um, he'll work multiple innings. He'll work several days in a row. Um, and has been a really reliable guy. And the middle relief is a little bit of a question mark right now because the Brewers had to move Marco Estrada into the rotation when Chris Narvison got hurt, and then Estrada got hurt as well. We get to see a lot of the Brewers, and, and I think Pirate fans are, are – accustomed to uh well they hate the brewers basically the whole beast mode thing last year the success they've had brian braun uh, the list is long in pittsburgh and niger morgan has been added to that list as well but take give us just one thing to watch for in this series that might not be kind of on the on the schedule of things that pirate fans would would uh tend to be looking for one thing to watch for this weekend will be that the brewers starting pitching as you mentioned before you're not going to see the brewers top two pitchers from their starting rotation this weekend so it'll be interesting to see what happens with Sean Markham because he's a guy that the Brewers have to make a tough decision on this winter. Um, he's going to be a free agent. He's probably going to want a long-term deal, but he's also a guy who's already in his early 30s and doesn't throw remarkably hard, so he may not age all that well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they get from him because every start right now is a tryout for him to either prove that he deserves an extension or that someone else should be interested in picking him up. Um, Randy Wolf is in the same situation right now. He's a guy in his mid-30s at the end of a long contract. The Brewers almost certainly will not pick up his option for next year, so he's starting to audition as well. And Michael Fires is a guy who is trying to prove to everyone that he belongs in the big leagues. So the Brewers have three starting pitchers taking them on this weekend that individually have a lot to prove. That's great stuff, Kyle. Thanks. Um, you can read Kyle's work at brewcrewball.com. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Bucks Dugout. David's at DTON Pirates. And leave your comments for us on the site.